Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Positively Gam is sponsored by Vaseline. See how they are working towards equitable skincare for all at Vaseline.com. Shirley Chisholm is known for this quote. If they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. And I feel like you in particular are very familiar with bringing your own chair. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? You know, I I like that quote, but I really would like for us to build our own table. You know, and yes, yeah, and it's and that's something to the point that you can relate to too. You guys literally have done that by providing space for our issues, and I think that it's imperative for us to do that in every single industry we touch, even the ones they don't want us to touch, but we know we belong. What's up, everybody? I'm Gammy, and this is Positively Gam. Every week, I have raw, in-depth conversation with inspirational people pushing for change on everything from aging, relationships, politics, wellness, to the current issues facing the Black community. And this is an extra special episode because we are doing a crossover show with Angela Rye, the host of On One. Welcome, Angela. I am so excited. I'm very nervous, too, I have to admit. I'm very nervous to talk to you, but I'm excited at the same time. Don't be nervous. So, Angela, you are the CEO of Impact Strategies, a political advocacy firm in the nation's capital, also a CNN political commentator and NPR political analyst. We have many voices. We have many 
Black women who come to the forefront now with their voices. But I consider you one of those prominent voices right now. And can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got here? Like, was this always, you know, what you saw yourself doing? No, (laughs) never. You know, it's so funny because, you know, there are young people, especially when I could still go to college campuses and talk to them. And they would say, you know, I want to be on TV. I've always wanted to do this. You know, what should I do? And I say, first things first, I never wanted to be on TV. It's so interesting because I really did fall into it. Although some people would say I really come by it honestly. My dad had like a TV show on like public access back in the day. He has a radio show right now. He is truly a talker, you know, grew up debating my parents believing that I could always have an opinion. So was groomed for it in a lot of ways, but never knew that it was about, I always just thought it was about being able to fully express myself. And so what I can say is I definitely feel the pull around, I'm supposed to use my gifts to serve humanity, particularly my community. And it just so happens that one of those gifts is advocacy through the, through the spoken word And that's, I guess, how you get to TV. But it was like law school and I wanted to go and make a difference. I wanted to be the female Johnny Cochran. You know, like there were all of these other things that I aspired to, but it wasn't TV. So if as a result of my work, it was profiled, I was cool with that. But like going to be talking on TV, never had even thought about it. Got it. Do you feel, and this is a question that I I ask a lot of people, do you feel pressure to um, be a role model? Ooh, I think, yeah. Like, and it's crazy, Gam, because I'm learning through therapy how perfectionist tendencies as a kid, like just translate into trying to be perfect and trying to fit a certain mold as an adult. So as a kid, I had some cousins, shout out to all my cousins, I'm about to get y'all, you're gonna be mad, but this is the truth. Some of them were real bad. Like on my mom's side, they were they were always in trouble. And so I was the kid who was like, let me, I was like, I'm not even gonna go play with them because they always in trouble. I'm gonna sit right here with the adults and I'm gonna be on my best behavior. Now, on my dad's side of the family, I was a completely different human being and I'd be running around with my cousins on that side. But like, I was trying to fit a certain image because what I realized, Scam, and maybe this is manipulation at an early age, if I was good, I got gifts. You know, like, <laughs> I, I, it, was, it was a whole thing. Like, if I was on my good behavior, I got rewarded for that. So I was like, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to play the part. So I think now I haven't been able to separate what part I'm playing from who I really am. And now at 41, I'm trying to unravel all of that and be like, oh, no, it's okay to not be perfect. Because guess what, boo, you're really not. You know, it's like, wow, I'm learning a lot. So for sure, it's like, it's always been an intricate part of, who I am. And even I can hear my dad now in my head saying, practice makes perfect, little girly. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Stop saying that, <laughs> you know, but he has some other good advice. <laughs> Do you feel any pressure to, like, like for me, one thing that I struggle with, so actually I'm going to ask for your opinion on this or maybe your assistance on this, because I feel like I have a lot of pressure to present myself a certain way to the public eye. And it's not necessarily what I really feel. So sometimes I feel like I have to 
curb what I say and 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 curb what I'm feeling so that it's more palatable. Ooh. Yeah. Where does that Do come you ever from? find yourself in that position? Absolutely. But I really yeah. want to know, like, from you, where does that come from? Is it like, okay, I'm hosting this show, I'm co-hosting this show, and people expect for it to be healing. And so if I speak my truth, it's going to damage people and it won't be healing anymore. Like, where, where does, or have you always felt some pressure to put on certain airs or perform a certain way? Where does it come from? Yeah, I've, I've always been a person that was very uncomfortable in my own skin. You know, which actually I don't want to I don't want to lead off the discussion too much. But that actually that kind of discomfort and lack of self-esteem actually led me into my journey in addiction. So, you know, I guess maybe some of that is is left over, you know, but the, I, I, I feel like there's a lot of I feel like I have a lot of pressure. Also, you know, being Jada's mom and. You know, there's just a, a certain expectation how you present yourself and how you carry yourself in the world and definitely on Red Table. Oof, it's it's so deep because I feel like this is a burden that so many Black women have. Whether you're mm-hmm. on TV or you're on Facebook Watch or you're on a podcast or you are the first lady of a church. Or you are, you know, Kamala Harris now as VP Mm -hmm. or Michelle Mm -hmm. Obama as first lady. Like, you can't ever be angry. You can't ever, like, use your hands when you talk because that means you have an attitude. If You you know what I mean? Like, you can't do any of that. And and then how dare you say anything about racism or your own shortcomings or your own implicit bias or you just, like, you have to be, you have to fit this perfect mode. And I think, I think that it hamstrings a lot of us and drives, If even if it's not to addiction, it drives a lot of us to performance. You know yes. what I mean? And to like dwelling and fully existing in wounded ego space instead of being able to unpack what your authentic truth is. Right. And so I a thousand percent relate to it. And what's so crazy is I think a lot of people would assume I don't deal with that because I'm outspoken. But being outspoken doesn't always mean that you're telling your authentic truth. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Like sometimes Mm -hmm. you're saying what you believe people can handle to your point about palatability or you are saying things that you know you've been talking about with your friends and maybe you shouldn't be saying it yet because you haven't fully processed what your truth is. And that's the part that I feel like I'm really coming into now. Like, all right. Should I be expressing this idea yet if I don't quite have it? You Mm -hmm. know, like I feel now like I understand that I can destroy things with my words. Yeah. And even if that's my truth, does that mean it needs to be said? Yes, yes, yes. You know, so it's like, all right, maybe there's another form of processing that doesn't require me to verbalize it. And that's hard for me. And I'm learning that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know, I'm a work in progress. That's that's all I can say. I'm a work in progress. Thank goodness. But we digress. No, we, we this digress. Is, this <laughs> is not the digression. This is the meat, you know, cuz cuz part of this I'm so glad you raised this because part of this is like I wonder if that is exactly how you were feeling on the show where you guys talked to Olivia Olivia Jade with mm. the college the college admission scandal and her parents and like you were like, why do we have to provide the space for this? 
You know, and I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, like for real. Why do we have to? Because it's not just Olivia. You were to me, you were speaking to this larger issue of black women always having to make white women and white people feel comfortable processing their BS at our expense. At the expense of our energy and our exhaustion and our anger and our rage and our sadness. It's like, when do we get to hold space for us? So I was like, I feel this. (laughs) I feel it. Yeah, it it definitely was was some of that. But yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I did feel that way. And it, but it, you know, it, it, you know, it just was a, a very challenging situation wanting to honor, you know, what Jada felt, you know, was necessary for the show and what she felt was necessary. Because I give her props too. I give I, I give both of us props for, you know, trying to speak our truth because Jada was true to who she was and trying to live a, a compassionate life, you know, and I was trying to be true to how I felt and how I, I felt like a lot of people, particularly in my generation, would feel about having her on under those circumstances. but And um, then when you think about the number of Black mothers who go to jail because they use somebody else's address so their kid could go to a better public school, you know, and yeah. like do real, not two or three months, do real jail time, you know? So I like, I just, I related to it so much. And I think part of the beauty of your podcast now and the show is you all give us space to process things that we have to, Bury, bury, bury. You know, one day that stuff explodes like Mount St. Helens. You know, like one day it's like that's all got to come out. So I really do appreciate the fact that y'all talk about it from various perspectives because we're also not monolithic, even in the same family. Exactly, exactly. And that's what the show is about. And so if you can't, you know, have an opportunity to speak both, both sides, then, you know, we're not really true to what the show is supposed to be about, which is the three generational mm. um, point of view. Not all care is created equal. Alaska's care stands wings and tails above the rest. And we want people to know so that the next time they book a flight, they'll book it with the most caring airline in the sky. Us. To Alaska, every customer is a guest, and every guest is a priority. That's why they go the extra mile, day after day, flight after flight, to treat you right. Because Alaska Airline is the only airline that cares about you as much as you do. Alaska flies here, there, and everywhere you care about, like Chicago, Hawaii, Las Vegas, Cancun, and New York. Earn 30% more miles compared to other U.S. airlines with Mileage Plan. See alaskaair.com slash mileage plan for details. Alaska rewards mileage plan members with one mile for every mile they fly. No other airline offers this many miles or this level of care. Book online now at alaskaair.com and earn one mile for every mile you fly on the most caring airline in the sky. So, but you know, you and I, we we decided to talk about the Black woman's role in, in America and particularly about the impact on the election. And we all know, you know, names that, you know, easily come to mind when we think about Black women in history. We can go back to Sojourner Truth and Mary McLeod Bethune and Ida B. Wells. We can name all of those. We can talk about 
of course, Michelle Obama, Stacey Abrams. But are there some unsung heroes, like grassroots people that come to mind that you might want to to shout out? Yeah, for sure. You know, and thankfully, some of them are my friends. You know, there are Mm. people who ran political action committees and all political action committees are made the same. Some of them do collect donations to ensure that they can give to different candidates on the ground because it wasn't just about the presidential this year. It was, you know, congressional races and still in the middle right now of the Georgia Senate runoff and maybe flipping in the Senate, which will make all the difference from a governance standpoint, but also state and local races. And so you have people like Adrian Sharpshire who runs Black Pack. And a lot of what their work is, is canvassing and having to canvas during COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, like, wow, shout out to Adrian for just having the fortitude and the innovation to be able to still reach our voters. I think about Tamika Mallory, who's gotten a lot more attention this year. But Tamika, for so long, has been doing that yes. work without any attention and in some degrees, you know, people bashing her. And so yeah. Tamika on the ground, being able to see her in North Carolina on the yeah, ground. I love we were both, Tamika. Yeah, I love Tamika. <laughs> both knocking on doors and they had a whole bus with Until Freedom and just doing like God's work. I think of Latasha Brown, who mm. not only with Black Voters Matter in Georgia, you know, helped to flip Georgia blue this year, but also before this in the Alabama special election for Doug Jones, he lost this this term. But they helped to get Doug Jones elected in Alabama. If it wasn't for the work of Latasha Brown and Black Voters Matter, that wouldn't have happened. And what's so incredible about them is they really make sure they're talking to the groups in those states and communities and they're funding those groups. So I love Latasha for that because she's she has a big enough energy and spirit to suck up all the oxygen herself. But she really does ensure that she's giving a platform and space for other people who look like us. And then I would say, finally, still on the PAC side, um, Stephanie Brown James co-founded Collective PAC with her husband, Quentin James, and has been doing amazing work. She did amazing work at Emily's List and before that, the NAACP, just incredible and so well thought, you know, uh, thought out and deliberate. She was an SGA president at Howard. Like she's been doing this work and her leadership style is all about consensus. Like she'll come to you and say, you know, sis, well, how are you feeling about this? Like, what do you think we're doing wrong here? How can we get this right? And that's mm-hmm. the kind of leadership this these days that we really need. And Stacey, of course, and Inse, and like, I mean, there were so many Black women who made this election happen. And then, of course, Kamala. For for me, my unsung would be Nikidra Robinson from Baltimore, Maryland, who heads the um, Baltimore chapter of Black Girls Votes. And I have on my Black Girls Vote sweatshirt today. <laughs> yeah, Nikidra is Nikidra is really special. Like she's traveled to um, different cities and, you know, to register voters and had unfortunately had to have virtual voter and engagement parties. But, you know, that that organization is really strong in trying to inspire Black girls and Black women to use the political process to improve the quality of life for their families. You know, we know that 90 percent of Black women voted for the Biden-Harris ticket, right? 
And we talk about the Democrats owing the Black community. But I want to ask you, and, and, and what we got out of it was, as you mentioned, Biden won, and what we got was Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. And, you know, I really feel excited about that. But before we we focus on Kamala, I want to ask you, do you feel like we really have a Black agenda? Because I just feel like it's really important. I think that we have this expectation that, you know, the whoever's in, in charge, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, you know, owe the Black community something, but what is it that we want them to do? I think that we have been nonspecific about that. And I think it's really important that we have a Black agenda. Do you feel like we've accomplished that yet? I love that. And it actually takes me to another unsung hero. She's been getting a lot of shine for the work they've done to create the hashtag Black Lives Matter. Alicia Garza, who also founded Black Futures Lab, talked to 30,000 Black people all over the country before the election, talking to them about what our agenda should be. That is the largest survey of Black people since the 1800s. I've never even heard of that survey. See, that, and that's, that was my question. Like, who's going to come up with the Black agenda? How are they, how are we going to determine what the Black agenda is? And this is the thing. So what's so fascinating to me is we will make so many things trend and talk about so many things. And especially this question, like who's going to do a black agenda? We don't have one, but we do have one and we just don't lift it up. And it actually is really good work. And if I'm really being honest with you, it's not even as progressive as I am. Black people, the folks you talk to from all different parts of the country, black people can be pretty conservative. Right. Mm-hmm. So what are expectations around policing are pretty conservative. We're just talking about accountability, body cams and, you know, for for ec- economics, the economic agenda, I think, needs to be fleshed out a little more. But one thing that was clear is black people feel like we need better family leave policies and we at least need to be making fifteen dollars minimum wage so that we can live. And so when you look at it, all of these things are pretty palatable and. I think the most important thing is when we talk about a Black agenda, we're talking about how we uplift all of the most vulnerable. When you help and you ensure that Black people are taken care of, the whole country is taken care of. We are, you know, experiencing COVID at worst numbers. We are experiencing what happens when there's an economic crisis at worst numbers. We are experiencing mass incarceration and criminal injustice at worst numbers. So if you start to fix things for us, it automatically fixes things for everyone else. What makes you so excited about Kamala Harris and what do you think that she can really bring to the administration? Because I'm excited. I'm excited. And, And I would encourage, I would encourage the listeners to take a look at the the interview that you did with Kamala Harris on on one because it was excellent. It was when she was actually running for the presidency, but it was an excellent interview and it really gave me insight to what she's bringing to the table. So what would you say about that? One, you know, Kamala is one of the most genuine people I know in politics. 
And I think that people don't always see that because just like we were talking about at the beginning of this, and I was like, no, don't cut this off because it's so real and we're impacted by it everywhere. She is judged by her skin color. She's judged by the fact that, you know, her mom is East Indian, was East Indian, and her dad is Jamaican. And therefore, she must not really know what the real Black experience is, as if slave ships didn't go to Jamaica too, right? (laughs) She is judged by appearance and who she dated and all of these things that we all know as Black women in every other role. But you would think that someone who has ascended to this level would be somewhat exempt from some of these things. Kamala has, as a result, I think, really put on a guard to protect herself because in in the purest sense, she is sensitive and she is kind and she really loves people. And when you're sensitive and kind and you really love people, that means you care a lot about what people have to say. So you see... A lot of times when you see her, you see someone who's really guarded. And I relate to that so much. That's not her at all. She is so down to earth and has the best laugh and loves hip hop and loves our people and loves to cook and is so down for the cause and listens to everybody that has a good idea. Probably some folks who have bad ideas, too, you know. And so what I think is incredible about her in contrast to Joe Biden, and frankly, the thing that I'm worried about for Joe Biden is this ability to hear even when it hurts. Mm. I'm going to listen to you. I don't necessarily like how you're talking about my record, but let me see where I might have a growth opportunity. She brings that genuinely. And I think that we're all going to be better for it. What I am hopeful for is because she's coming in as a black women woman, there are, you know, people, Joe Biden's closest advisors are white men. And I think that she'll be able to really push back on their perspectives on our culture, on for all women and for other people of color um, in marginalized communities at a time where we need it most given, you know, living in a trifecta of pandemics from economic injustice to COVID, you know, racial injustice, racism. So I think that she will be a gift for all of us in that role. And I believe that she's going to use that platform for the people, as she said during her campaign, Kamala Harris for the people. Yeah, yeah. I feel I I love her conversation about changing the ideas of what a safe community looks like. I, I love that conversation. And once again, I would I would encourage listeners to to go on YouTube and 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 look at that interview that you had with her because she talks about when you heal the black community, you we you don't do that with more police. You know, and that's part of changing how you look at the criminal justice system too, because if you create safe communities, then you don't need more police. And that means so many different things. So, I mean, it, it, but it's such a huge task. It's such a huge task. It's like, I, I don't know. And you asked her that question, like, where do we start? Because we have to deal with economics. We have to deal with education. You know, we can't just be, we're not looking for handouts. At all. We hell, no, we never got one, even though we right. gave all the handouts. I say the hand, we gave out the handouts, the hand ups, the hand ins, like we gave, given everything from the, from the very inception of this country. 
So when you t- you ask me what I'm most excited about with her, what are you most excited about with this incoming administration? And what's your greatest fear, too? I think what I'm most excited, excited about, once again, is Kamala. You know, I'm very excited about having a Black woman with that kind of power. Recognizing, too, when we talk about power, there are limitations. Like, if we don't flip the Senate, we're going to be in the same position that President Obama was. And we and we really have to understand that. People talk all the time about what Obama didn't do and all of that. Like, the president is not doesn't have as much power as you think he does. You know, it's the Senate. You know, and Mitch McConnell still being in power, he's going to try to stop everything just like he did before. You know, so that is my fear. So my biggest fear is that we don't flip the Senate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy so. because people don't know Barack Obama for his first two years actually had the House in the Senate. They don't remember that. And they ended up losing the House and the Senate behind health care, which we needed. But people are so resistant to it because they're like, oh, um, we need to make sure that the insurance companies are good. What about the humans? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about the humans? Shirley Chisholm is known for this quote. If they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. And I feel like you in particular are very familiar with bringing your own chair. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? You know, I I like that quote, but I really would like for us to build our own table. Oh. You know, and yes, yeah, and it's and that's something to the point that you can relate to too. You guys literally have done that by providing space for our issues, and I think that it's imperative for us to do that in every single industry we touch even the ones they don't want us to touch, but we know we belong everywhere. And so to me, it's about, you know, if you see something where our stories aren't being told, or if you see that we're not being represented, whether it's in the incoming administration, it's in a corporation on a board in the C-suite, or you see that, you know, there's a gaping hole in, you know, management or middle management um, or executive roles on sports teams, you know, or how folks Mm -hmm. use black banks. We have to ensure that we're always pushing for our interests. That's the only way our economic circumstances are going to change, community shift. And we experience a paradigm shift even in our own worthiness. We have to believe that we're worthy first. And I think that's not just about the finances. That's also about how we see each other. Yeah. You know, that was going to lead me into my next question, but I think you answered it. Why is it so important to have a mix of different ethnicities, ethnicities in power, in political office and everywhere. And, and I think you, you've answered that already. There was my, there was a class I took in undergrad, Adrian, called critical race theory. A lot of people take that class like in law school. And in this classroom, I went to University of Washington. So all my classes were like huge, big, you know, crazy sizes, but this was like a seminar class. So it was small, like 25 of us. Shout out to Dr. Andrea Simpson, who taught this class, by the way. But it was the most diverse class I ever had in college. No no other classes like that after. Nobody was the same race. It was for the first time in my life, white people were like, I'm Irish. My parents are Scottish. I'm Jewish. They weren't just saying like they were white because it was was appreciated. All of the diversity in the classroom was really appreciated. 
my grade was so good in that class because it wasn't just the textbook. It wasn't just the professor. I had the benefit of learning the cultural experiences of my classmates. If we took that same um, thing and applied it into every other thing we did, we would all be so much smarter because we're learning perspectives, you know? Right. And I think it's, it's crucial. You cannot serve people if you don't understand anything about where they're coming from. And you can't do that if you don't interface with people from their communities. Exactly. So it's exactly. super important. You talk about in public office, they literally are being paid by taxpayers. They especially should have a diverse group. When Kamala leave, well, she's leaving the Senate, that will mean no more Black women if Governor Newsom doesn't appoint a Black woman. That's irresponsible. Mm-hmm. That's right. irresponsible. We cannot have that anymore. In 2020, to not have a, and only have two Black men in the Senate? You know, it's it's actually really crazy. It is. Because that's not the world that we live in. No. That's not the world that we live in. The world is very diverse. And here in the United States, we are, you know, we are filled and surrounded with all these different nationalities. And I mean, I, we, we, we learned that growing up. I was not raised a Christian. I am now. But we were not raised as a Christian. We were raised in the ethical society. And one of the goals for the children in the community was they took us around and we learned about all different kinds of religion, all different kinds of religion. So that makes you feel comfortable with people that don't look like you. It gives you a sense of tolerance and acceptance of other of people that don't look like you, that are different from you. You know, and it also gave us an opportunity to learn about different religions so that when we became of age, we could make our own decisions about what religion we wanted to practice. You know what I mean? And that is part of being in a world that is full of people. Learning our differences and accepting our differences and learning, you know, what we're we're like because we still stuck on that word race, you know, and there's only one race and that's the human race. That's true. And the thing that that's, that's so compelling about the ethical society that you're talking about is like, how much safer would, you know, kids be, would, would adults be if they really had a different understanding, you know, like just pushing people, like everything is not your way. That may be your right viewpoint, but that's not the only way. Yeah. So that's how I grew up. Okay, we're going to wrap it up now because I know you got to go, Angela. So we're going to wrap it up with the wouldn't you like to know segment. And this is where I ask you my 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 little rapid fire questions. And so one of them is something that you asked me, what book are you currently reading? Oh, I want to read Cast, but I'm in the middle of um, Queen Afua's Sacred Woman. I just got that in the mail. Oh, good. Yes. I can't wait I to talk to you about this. I can't wait to yeah. talk to you about this. And then um, I was just reading, I just finished Dr. Dyson's new book, A Reckoning um, with Race, uh, you know, a conversation with um, on race with um, America. And then another book that I have to shout out because it's a game changer for me is The Purpose of Power. We talked about Alicia Garza earlier 
and she just released her book. I don't ever read one book at a time. I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah, I don't either. I have to be honest. I don't either. Do you prefer actually reading and holding a book in your hand or do you use Kindle or audiobooks as well? Because I love audiobooks. I love them all. So I I downloaded um, Barack Obama's book and I'm only into like the third chapter. I started reading Dr. Dyson's book for a book talk. And then I went back to Queen of Fools book. I'm going to go back to Obama's book. And my brother, Charlemagne, um, I call him Lennar, was saying he's listening to it and reading it at the same time. And that's been really good. So I was like, maybe I'm going to try that. Yeah, I I find that when I'm reading a nonfiction that I have to actually read it. I need to hold it so I can make markings and notations and all of that. But if I'm reading um, fiction, I, I I can I can just listen to it because it's just for entertainment and I can get through it really, really quick. Okay. One thing you want to get off your chest. Ooh. One thing I want to get off my chest for this year, especially just because the other day, the Proud Boys went and tore down a Black Lives Matter sign off of a historic Black church in Washington, D.C., in wow. Metropolitan AME. So what I really want to get off my chest is Black Lives Matter, not just in your email signature block, but period. And there you go. And there you have it, that part, okay? What's a motto that you live by? Ooh, my mom loves to tell me this, and I'm I'm working on it every single day. She says, Angela, make big things small and small things nothing. Wow. I love that. Thank you so much, Angela. It was such a joy to talk to you. Please, please share with, with the audience and the listeners where they can find you on social media and what projects or what things you might have coming up. Well, um, I'm on Instagram at Angela Rye. Twitter is Angela underscore Rye. I am still doing my podcast. Yes. We're closing in on a book deal coming up here soon. Ah! So late breaking news right there. And then I'm looking forward to this detox. I know. I know. You're doing 21 days. I don't I don't know if I'm going to be able to do 21 days. I'm going to I'm going to do I'll the first you know. part with you and I'm going to just make sure that you know I'm walking with you on the side and rooting you on. And and I just need for you to root me root for me to get this six pack. <laughs> okay, Angela. We'll work on that too. Yay! I got it. I'm ready. I'm ready. And I'll All drink right. my water. There you go. Thanks so much, Angela. It was a joy. So these are my takeaways from my conversation with Angela Rye today. Number one, we as Black people must claim our space. And number two, as Shirley Chisholm said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. But as Angela would say, you can bring a chair, but you can also bring your own table. And with that, we're out. Thank you to my guest, Angela Rye. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the episode. Follow me on my Instagram at Gammy Norris to share with me your thoughts on the episode. I'm here, I'm talking, and I'm listening. And as always, folks, stay grateful. Positively Gam is produced by Westbrook Audio. Executive producers, 
Adrian Banfield Norris, Jada Pinkett Smith, Amanda Brown, and Fallon Jethro. Co executive producer, Sim Hoti. Segment producer, Ash Francis. Associate producer, Erica Ron. Editor and mixer, Calvin Bayless. Positively Gam is in partnership with Art 19. Thank you to our sponsor, Vaseline. Don't forget to check out how they are working towards equitable skincare at Vaseline.com. <laughs> 